today we're going to continue our series from James and we're into uh, the beginning of James chapter 4 which is all about conflict and combat. Let's get into that. Uh, I want to open this morning with like pretty much the best video I've seen this year. There's lots of videos out there but this one's probably my favourite. It may be because I have four sons and uh, violence appeals to me and it's entertaining. Um, or it just could be an out-of-the-box kind of video. Um, look, there's a bit of audio in it, but the audio is a little bit irrelevant. So I'm just going to make a few comments as we go. Uh, check this out. This is a couple of koalas having a rumble on a main road. How cool is that? Totally oblivious to what's happening around them in the middle of a main road. I mean, I look at that and I go, man, what happened in the forest? Someone made some kind of dumb joke about the other guy's ears. And all of a sudden they tumble out in the middle of the road. You know, and then every now and then in this rumble, one of them kind of gets away and the other one drags it in. There's, there's literally fur flying in the middle of this street. I don't care about the horn, people toot the horn. Classic. I could watch this over and over. It goes for about another 30 seconds. And I have watched it over and over. And I think, um, I think part of the reason why we enjoy seeing videos like this is some of us are going, I wish I could do that to a few people. Just get them around the neck, get them in a hole and just backslam them on some kind of hard pavement somewhere. Hopefully with a head knock. You know, we, we see animals going at it sometimes and it reminds us of people sometimes. Um, here's, here's the reality. When you live in a fallen world, uh, conflict is inevitable. Conflict is when you have an active disagreement um, between people, uh, opposing principles, uh, opposing opinions. Now, if you haven't already sorted this out, you need to get this squared away right now. Um, people disagree with you. You got that? People disagree with you. That's right. And then you bury them. They disagree once and you bury them. They're nice about it and they don't always talk about it, but they don't do life the same way as you. And the reason why they don't is because they disagree with you. Um. Some of you, probably, this might come as a bit of a shock, and you're probably about 18 months old, right? Because for everyone else, you just go, absolutely, this is the case. So the reality is that conflict's going to come your way. Uh, you can't stop that. It's, it's just going to happen. The question is, what are you going to do? How are you going to engage with it? And basically, you've got two different options in terms of engaging with conflict. You can do the head in the sand ostrich thing, or you can do the koala thing. Apparently, <laughs> right? Kind of go at it. When there's an active disagreement, what are you going to do? Um, we do have a tendency to go koala on each other every now and then, right? Which is a weird, weird phrase. Uh, that would be a cool saying to kind of get into vogue, wouldn't it? In our society, it's like you went out there and it's like she went on koala on me. It's like... <laughs> or ostrich. Here's, here's the reality. If you're an ostrich kind of person when it comes to uh, conflict and you just want to stick your head in the sand, it doesn't make you go away. 
It's still there when you pull your head out and you have to eventually pull your head out. And here's the other thing, fighting doesn't help conflict that much either, does it? Um, it just makes the conflict worse. I remember in uh, high school, this tough kid came up to me and uh, he said to me, I want to fight you. And I said, right, so if we fight, both of us are going to get hurt and it's only going to prove that one person's tougher than the other one. He goes, yeah. And I said, well, I'm happy for you to be the tough one. He goes, oh, okay. And then he walked off. That was the end of it. It doesn't actually resolve anything having a fight. It just proves that someone's stronger, more powerful than the other person. Now, if you look at the church, the church um, is pretty good at doing both of these on the screen, all right? It's pretty good at just sticking their head in the sand. And here's a word that we use to avoid actually dealing with conflict. We just show each other grace. All right? And you do need to show each other grace, but here's the reality. Uh, there are differences that need to be sorted out. And then there's times in the church where people don't show each other any grace at all. And people in the church are just going, it's better outside this place than in it. Who knows what I'm talking about? Yeah, like three people put their hands up. Uh, you'll see both. And here's, here's the reality. The church does not have a good record when it comes to handling conflict well. Um, so there's a way that um, people engage conflict and then there's a way they actually do conflict when they're in the middle of it. And I, uh, I like to cash it out using these two metaphors here, the cowboy and the turtle. Uh, let me uh, run through it with you. You've, uh, you've got the cowboy and the cowboy in the conflict situation is the one that's going, well, I've got a magazine full of rounds so we might as well just use them. They're the person that just says everything that they think, right? They just get right into it. They're not afraid of it. And there's bleeding people lying around all over the place at the end of it. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Really direct. If you wanted to really pigeonhole it, and you'd have to nuance this a bit, but we'll be here forever if I nuance it completely for you. But it's kind of truth without love. That's what a cowboy is, right? It's truth without love. On the other hand, uh, and typically what you actually get is two people in a relationship will actually not be the same one. There are some uh, families... Uh, that, I've, uh, that I engaged with at a school level who had uh, mum and dad were both cowboys and they were just kind of let fly in the middle of conflict situations. And that's, those houses are loud houses, right? And the other thing that tends to happen with those houses is two cowboys will tend to have cowboys as children. And way beside the poor kid who's not going to be a cowboy in that family because it's like a gunslinging household, that one. <laughs> Anyone know what I'm talking about? They just kind of let it go. On the other hand, you've got people in the middle of a conflict situation who will tend to be a little bit more like a turtle. So this kind of sounds like this. As soon as the conflict happens, you hear this thunk, right? And that's pulling all the appendages in from outside the shell, kind of bunkering down on the inside, but they don't do nothing. The turtles uh, get out a phone or some kind of audio recorder and start recording everything that the cowboy's saying, all right? But they don't say anything about it because it's too dangerous out there, right? There are... It's, you could die out there. So let's, don't go out there. Like, just stay inside your shell. That's the best place for you. Um, but you know what happens. This is one of the things that, uh, that happens with the, the cowboy and the turtle thing. Now, if you push a turtle far enough, they will strap on a suicide vest. And they'll get on a horse and they'll just detonate. And they'll kill as many people as they possibly can in that one moment. The reality... 
the reality about being a turtle is they're going to turn up about two or three weeks after the uh, conflict situation and say, hey, you said this two weeks ago. And the cowboy's going, I don't even know what you're talking about. Right? That's done. I said everything I wanted to say back then. And, uh, and they just kind of had it on their audio recorder. It's been playing and playing and playing and playing. And then eventually it comes out. Does anyone know what I'm talking about with these two? Okay. We, we can't avoid conflict. Uh, it comes to us, but we want to be mindful about how we operate in the midst of it. Here's another way of putting it. Conflict is inevitable. Con- combat is optional. <laughs> conflict is inevitable. Combat is optional. Um, if conflict is unavoidable, we want to know how to do it well. And if you want to do conflict well, you have to attend to your heart. We're not talking about the emotional part of your, your heart alone. That's kind of the way that our society thinks about the heart. We're thinking about a biblical understanding of the heart, which is the mind, the will, and the emotions, the centre of who you are. Here's the reality. The heart is powerfully active in the midst of conflict. All right? If you want to do conflict well, you'll have to attend to your heart and what's going on in your heart. And James is like super helpful for us today in uh, James chapter 4. So I'd love it if you could just turn in your Bibles to uh, James chapter 4. We're going to read verse 1 to 4. James 4 verse 1 to 4. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Today we're going to look at four things today. We're going to look at a battle for the heart, enlisting others, enlisting God and the heart of the problem. Let's kick right into it. If you have a look at verse 1 of chapter 4 there, you can see there is a battle for your heart. Here's how it works. Unhealthy conflict always begins in the heart. And this is the process. This is the way that it works. You have desires that, you, that are not necessarily wrong, but what they actually do, these desires, is they battle and they wage war for control of your heart. You know, James chapter 1, we looked at how desires are not necessarily wrong, but they have a tendency to get too big. They get out of size. The word that we could use for it is they get inordinate. They get excessive. They get out of proportion. And when they do that, they get bad. And what James is saying to us here is when it comes to conflict, your desires inside of you want to wage war against your heart and capture it and control it. Your heart is about the things that you love, the things that you worship, the things that you centre your life around. And what you've got going on here, according to James, is this war, this battle that's going on. And I'll tell you what you can expect to find in your heart in the midst of this battle. Idols and fear. Idols of the heart. So there's something that you want. There's this desire that's become inordinate. It's become too big and you are going after it, you're grasping after it. It's too large 
But the flip side, and it's actually just the other side of idolatry of the heart, is fear itself. Because what's fear? Fear is that is the threat that I'm not going to get what I really want. So on the one hand, we can be going after the thing that we want. On the other side, we can be fearing that we're not going to get what we really want. And it's kind of two sides to the same coin. This is the battle that goes on in every one of our hearts in the midst of conflict. Our desires work hard to conquer our hearts. What's the next step? Well, once the desires have gotten big enough and they've taken over and they've annexed the rest of your heart, what happens next? Well, it's obvious. Uh, You need to enlist other people in your project. The focus goes to other people around you. The war's no longer internal. It's actually spilling over into the external. You know, once you've decided that you actually really need something and you really want something, then it becomes obvious. Everyone else needs to help you to get that. That's, That's how it works. They should get on the give me what I need or what I think I want train. That's what they should do. But here's a really frustrating, irritating thing about other people. They don't get on that train. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? So I go, I want this thing and I've decided and I've justified in my heart that that's the thing I need to have. You should join me because this is really important and then they don't. What an idiot. Of course, you should join me. So frustrating. You know what you want, you know what you need, you deserve it. And all of a sudden, that other person who won't help you to get what you want is now in your way. This is verse 2, right? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You know, we all spend a bit of time in the midst of a conflict situation trying to convince the other person that they should get on your program, but in the end, they don't. In the end, most of the time, they don't play ball. Sometimes that's in horror. It's like, can you not just see that this is a good thing to do? Or what do we do? If they won't help me get it, then they need to get out of the way. (laughs) That's James here, right? They just need to get out of the way. But here's the other frustrating thing about people. Not only will they not help us achieve our particular ends, but they don't always get out of the way. Who knows what I'm talking about? All right? And then it's very obvious. Like, if you're not going to help me, and you're not going to get out of the way, I'm going to get you out of the way. (laughs) All right? I'm going to get you out of the way. That's what James is talking about here. I think we become often verbal ninjas right? We just get to work on other people, slicing and dicing them to get what we want. And in some ways, in a lot of ways, I think we can get into conflict and when we're doing badly in the midst of conflict, we murder them. Figuratively speaking, we murder them. But it can go further, and I think this is what James is actually saying here, is not that it's just figuratively murder, but if you push it far enough, it actually ends in real murder. That's how it works. If your desire continues to be frustrated and you are determined to get it, then in the end, you will kill for it. True? 
Now, we don't have to go into examples, but I think that you can see this all over the news. This happens every single week. Someone wants something, people are standing in the way of them getting it, and eventually what do they do? They kill them. I hope none of you have seen it, but uh, there was a very popular Netflix series in the middle of lockdown called Tiger King, which was all about, it was a true life crime story of this uh, guy who kept tigers and this uh, environmentalist was getting in his way, and so he organised a hitman to uh, kill her. This is exactly what James is talking about. Take it far enough and stand in someone's way long enough and have someone determined enough to get what they really want to get and you'll kill for it. Now, you people are nice people. You're lovely people, right? I'm not going to stand out there after church and be just going, someone's going to stab me, all right? It's probably not going to happen. But I do think that most people here in, in our poorer moments, like if, you, if, if one of us cuts across someone else and we've got something messy going on inside of our hearts, we would. We would kill for it. I mean, let's, let's just be honest. We try to enlist other people, but if they won't be enlisted by us in our purposes and our plans, then we need to get them out of the way. Here's the third point. The next step that we go to, is enlisting God. This is James 4, verse 2 to 3. You do not have, because you do not, ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. What, what are the two problems here according to James? One problem is that you don't ask God for stuff that you should. The other problem is that you ask, but you ask it for your own purposes. Both are a problem. Both are a problem. Both reveal that there's a problem going on inside of you. And uh, you people know what this is, I'm sure. Um, let's just look briefly at both of those problems um there are times that we don't ask god for things because we know he's going to say no have you ever done that underneath you've gone i just want to do this and i'm not going to talk to him about it i remember uh when i lived in sydney i uh i played the drums in a band down there and um i got this money it was it was legal Right. It sounds bad when I say it like that. It's like it just fell off the back of a truck, right, really. But I got this money, right? And uh, it was enough money. Now, if you're not a drummer, you won't understand this, right? But it was enough money to buy this sweet floor tom that I wanted. Some of you are going, what, what's a floor tom? A tom is, a floor tom is something that, that's a tom that sits on the floor. So one of the ones on, on the left over here, right? And do you know something? I didn't talk to God about that. Do you know why I didn't talk to God about it? Because I, and I still own the floor time. Maybe I should have sacrificed on an altar somewhere, but I didn't talk to God about it because I knew if I talked to him about it, he'd tell me that I shouldn't buy it. Right? And sometimes for us, in the middle of the things that we want, we don't talk to God about stuff either because we know he's going to say no. So why, why don't we talk to God about it? Because we just want to get about getting it. And we don't want him to stand in our way. 
you know, your desires get too big in the midst of conflict, I would guarantee you that for all of us in the room, like if we could just be honest, we'd just go, yep, I've been in the middle of conflict and I haven't talked to God about it, about the thing that I want, because I want the thing that I want so much, I don't want him to stand in my way either. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Who wants to be cut across in that moment? Not me. Not you, I'm sure. Who wants to be told that you're in the wrong at that moment? Here's the other alternative that James gives you here. Um, You ask God to help you get what you want. Do you notice? You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. Why? To spend it on your passions. So you enlist God's help. You know that he could give it to you. (laughs) You can't see why this thing wouldn't be a good thing to have. He's good, isn't he? He loves you. Surely he would give it to you. And then he doesn't. Then he doesn't. And you get cheesed off with him. People don't admit that in the church. But let's just be honest. We get cheesed off with God because he hasn't played ball with us. True? So you're brave enough to give half a nod so that no one can tell that you're nodding? (laughs) So now we've got a problem because not only do we have conflict with other people around us, now we've got conflict with God because he's not playing ball. Now why wouldn't God play ball? I'll tell you why he wouldn't play ball because you don't care about him. You just care about getting the thing that you want. If God's a good, loving father, would you expect that if someone didn't care about him and they just wanted something that they wanted, that they loved the most in their heart, do you think a good dad would give their kids something like that? Absolutely not. No way. He ought to stand in your way. He ought to stand in my way. He simply doesn't do this because he's not a vending machine. He's not something you go to to get what you really want. He's a person. Now, I don't know about you, but if you had someone who continually came to you just to get what they wanted out of you, that wouldn't be a very loving relationship, would it? Would it? Just wouldn't be. It's like at some point you're just going... Do you even care about me or do you actually really love this stuff that you keep asking for from me? How would it work for you? This is what James is saying. You know, you you keep going to God to just get the things that your heart loves the most. You don't even care about him. He's just a vending machine for you. What's the heart of the problem? Well, the heart of the problem is verse 4. You're adulterous people. Or properly, according to the Greek, you're adulteresses. So the, uh, seeing the church as the bride of Christ. You see, all of a sudden, we're playing a game we didn't think we were playing at this point, all right? Because you just go, well, I just wanted something in the middle of conflict. And James tells us, no, you're actually an adulterer. You're having an affair. And... Who's ever noticed this about God? He just kind of, he takes it to a level. So I go, well, hang on, I wasn't going on that level. He goes, yes, you were. <laughs> yes, you were. You were totally on that level. Because um, this is what happens in conflict. Something 
gets too big in our hearts. It becomes the love of our hearts. We center our lives upon it. We fight for it. God gets pushed out. We opt for another God right in front of God. Adultery in his face. How do I know that? I know that because if you love Jesus, the Bible teaches that you and I who love Jesus are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God's presence is actually in us. So when you opt for an idol, when you opt for loving something more than Jesus himself in that moment, you have just had an affair right in front of God. And if you look through the scriptures, you will notice that this has happened the whole way through human history. We do it right in front of his face. That's what we do. I mentioned this a, a few weeks ago. The, uh, the Garden of Eden was a, was a temple. And Adam and Eve preferred another right in the middle of the temple of God's presence, right in his face. What happened with the Israelites at Mount Sinai? Well, what happened was they committed adultery on their wedding night. They went to Mount Sinai to cut this relationship, this covenant with God, and they do it right in his face. They make a golden calf. You go to Jeremiah 7. This is the criticism that Jeremiah is speaking on behalf of God to God's people. You do this stuff right in front of my face. Now, <laughs> what do you do? What if, what if you're sorry? What if the person that you just committed adultery on, you're really sorry about it? What, what do you do about it? Well, you can repent, you can say sorry, but here's, here's the reality. The, the jilted lover has the power at this point. Right? The jilted lover has the power at this point. And I want to just think for a little bit about adultery. And I know, I know that there's some people for whom this is a really close reality. So I'm, my intent is not to make it difficult and painful for you. But I just want to think about this because the adultery that we commit against God is far worse than anything that can happen human to human. That The Bible is very clear about that. It doesn't feel worse, but it is far worse than what happens human to human. What happens human to human is a taste of the reality of uh, adultery between us and God. Adultery is where one spouse goes out and has an affair with another. They give themselves to someone else. It can be physical or emotional or physical and emotional. Here's the question. How can things be made right in a marriage where there's been adultery? Well, I think it's all landing on the aggrieved, hurt spouse that got cheated on. And here's, there's two things you need to get this marriage back on track. Your spouse needs to still love you. All right? They, they need to still love you. The second one, your spouse needs to be willing to forgive you. Now, I've seen this, right, and there's more details but these these are two kind of bedrock things right if if they don't still love you anymore it's probably over and if they don't want to forgive you and they still love you and they're determined about that about not forgiving you it's probably over you're probably not going to be able to recover it 
If either one is missing, you're in trouble. I wonder if you just read on with me in James chapter 4. It wasn't a section that we read at the start, but I want to read verse 4 to 6. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Do you see that? Now, mostly when we think about jealousy, we think about something negative. But when when it comes to jealousy and it says there that God is jealous for you, do you know what that means? He still loves you. He still loves you. You belong to him. You should not have given yourself to another. Not even for a second. And you know what that does in him? If God doesn't actually get jealous for the people that rightfully belong to him, he doesn't love them. He doesn't love them. What else do you see there? Right at the end, verse 6. But he gives more what? You have the very things that you need to get things right again. You see that? He still loves you even when you're an adulterer and he's going to give you more grace. He will forgive you. In the middle of conflict, if you love Jesus the most and he stays the love of your heart and he stays in the centre of your heart, it'll be easier. It's not going to disappear, but it will be easier. If you haven't done that, hear me this morning that God still loves you. You hear that? He still loves you. That's amazing. He shouldn't. In terms of justice, anyway. He shouldn't still love you, but he does. And he has more forgiveness for you. I want to finish uh, just with a, uh, a few quick thoughts about um, just some practical things to do with uh, uh, conflict. And then I'm done this morning. Um, I want to just quickly look at this. Um, even when you have Jesus in the center, who knows it doesn't make all the conflicts disappear around you. It just doesn't. It doesn't make the disagreements disappear. And I think there's a few reasons for it. I just want to throw these out for you. Here's the first one. Uh, people may need to grow up. Truth is, you just may not be mature enough. You may be in a conflict situation, you've done everything that you can to work something out and you just can't resolve it. And it may be that people just need to grow up. This is a wisdom thing, right? Now, the older I get, the less things seem to matter. And I don't mean generally, but they just matter less. It just seemed like when I was... Younger, it's like, man, I can see like about 35 hills that need dying on. You know, I'm going to fight that one and then I'm going to fight that one and I'm going to fight that one. And there's just not as many hills that need to be died on than what you think, right? I mean, you know that. I mean, anyone who's parents here, like you kind of know that. Like the older you get and the more mature you get as a parent, you just go, really? Like I made a big deal about that thing? That wasn't that important. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't things that are really important, And there aren't hills that you need to die on, but there's less than what you think. 
And I think that's one of the signs of maturing and growing wiser in old age is you learn how to pick the right battles. The tendency when you're younger is to pick everyone. It's like, yep, no, we're all we're going to go to hell and damnation, you know, if we don't have the right colour shoelaces um, or whatever. You know, you just pick these, pick these battles. People may need to grow up. Sometimes people just can't see the things that they need to see. There are, things, there are conflicts in life that don't get sorted because people can't see what's important. Now, look back on your life for a moment. Just reflect for a moment. Do you see, as you reflect on the conflicts that you've had in your life or the conflict that you've had, do you see anything differently now that would have helped that conflict at the time and I would suggest probably for all of us we'd probably say yes yeah yeah we would it's just just some things that I see differently now maybe the very nature of the conflict itself you look at it and you just go oh man like why did I carry on about that that's just not that important after all so sometimes we just can't see things and maturity kind of brings those things out. And I would encourage you, you need to be a little bit careful with this, especially if someone's like really kind of furious with you. Uh, if you see something different um, that would help to bring resolution to a conflict that you're in and there's an opportunity for you to go and talk to that person, I think you should do that. Go and offer it. Now be, be careful because there's some people that that would be dangerous. Uh, I saw a guy this week in Coles who I, I don't know whether I'm ever going to be able to go and reconcile with this guy. He's another Christian guy and it was just a sharp, sharp, sharp disagreement. And uh, it's like I'm minding my own business on my day off picking up a bottle of milk and he's like right there, you know. Um, I had to block him. I had to block him from my phone, from Facebook. I had to block him on a whole bunch of things. Um, would I love to, do I love the thought that one day he and I would be able to reconcile? Yeah, I do. Um, when is that? Well, we had a good chat, good little bit of small talk for 30 seconds or so, and then uh, keep calm and carry on. All right? So just be a little bit careful. Like if there's something, a really intense conflict, you, you probably want some wisdom uh, for that you probably have a bunch of wisdom but you should probably ask some people to give you some help uh, with thinking that one through if it's a little bit tricky okay because one of the things um, you can do in error is you can turn up and you can just be sorry and apologetic for things that you actually didn't get wrong and if you do that you're not actually resolving a conflict anyway you're just kind of serving something up and the thing gets paper mache over and it doesn't actually get worked out because you have to deal with the reality and the facts about what's going on. Here's the uh, last one. Um, you can have conflicts with people because of a different vision. Um, and I, I think this is okay. I mean, I think there's... You need to be careful the way that you work this through, but if, um, if someone has a different vision and it's... It's really, really important and really central and it's shifted, for example, and it's different to what you used to kind of support. 
Uh, I, I think there's an argument for you to switch out of that, okay? This is the reason why um, Ange and I moved church. So we've, we've moved church, in fact, I've moved, moved church, I think, once, um, maybe t- twice as a, uh, once as a kid, but as an adult, I've moved once in my whole life when it wasn't geographical. And what it was is it was a vision thing. So I went through the process of trying to work through this conflict it wasn't like a fight, it wasn't combat, it was just a conflict, a disagreement and couldn't kind of work it out and uh, so in the end it's like I give you my blessing and uh, we just can't support you in that and we hope it goes really well for you. There's a place for that, okay, but you need to work through that really carefully. Uh, I used to be um, a director of a national uh, biblical counselling organisation and there was something similar that happened there. It was just a bit of a shift in vision. It's like, yeah, you know what? Um, tried to work it out, but at the end of the day, um, just just couldn't work it out. And so that's okay. That's okay. I think we see some of that in scripture as well, that you can, there can be a different vision and uh, you can kind of tap out uh, on the basis of that. Don't just throw your hands up or do a dummy spit, right? You actually try to work it through and, and do it well, but that would be uh, another reason there. Now, here's, here's where I want to end. Unity and relationship, I want you to hear this, unity and relationship are not ultimately dependent upon agreement. All right? Now, a lot of people think if we don't agree, we can't do relationship and we can't be in unity. Now, that's, that's not true. Now, you may not be able to partner really closely if some really key things are not in alignment with each other. That's for sure. That's fine. But you can do relationship when there's disagreement. Why do I know this? Well, lots of reasons, but here's one. John Gottman is the, uh, one of the most significant secular marriage researchers in the States. And you know what he says? He says uh, 70% of the relationship between husbands and wives is irreconcilable differences. 70%. Right? 70%. Like, are you you hearing this? So you fundamentally disagree with your spouse on 70% of the way that you do life. Okay, I'm going to pray and we're going to finish. What does that tell you? What does that tell you? That tells you, that tells you, at least from a secular standpoint, that you don't have to agree to do relationship. In fact, if your relationship is dependent upon agreement, you're going to be in trouble. Because as soon as there's a disagreement, there's a problem with your relationship. The reality is that the way that everyone who's married here today is still married is because relationship works over the top of agreements and disagreements is it's not a servant to those things it works over the top does that make sense and surprise surprise that's exactly how it works between God and us because you know something you know what a disagreement between God and us is sin and no one came to church with a clean sheet but he didn't give up on you it's all right because he's relationship with you his being joined to you is not ultimately dependent upon agreement it's dependent upon the fact that he joined himself to you in relationship 
Now, he deals with the disagreement, doesn't he? He dies on the cross for all of our disagreements, all of our sin. And he will make us holy so that in the end, we are in alignment with him. And sin won't exist anymore. But his relationship with us is not ultimately threatened when we sin because he's paved the way for us and him to be joined together. Okay, I'm done. Uh, so I'll have the, if, if the worship team can come up, uh, that'd be great. The last thing I just want to chuck up on the screen, if you want some more help with it, uh, there's an outstanding organisation in Australia which you should look up called Peacemaker Ministries. They've got a whole bunch of re- free resources. I cannot recommend these guys highly enough in terms of how they work through conflict with people. Uh, you should check them out if you've got some conflict in your life and you want some uh, wisdom. So Peacemaker Ministries, I wonder if you'd stand with me and I'll just pray for you 